are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And if you would like to discuss today's readings, head over to the Facebook group Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, and there you can interact with other readers and followers. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria. All good and holy God, we thank you for the life of your servant Maria of Agreda. May we follow her holy example and shun the allurements of the world and abandon ourselves to your perfect will. Like her, may we enter into the quiet of heartfelt prayer and find your presence deep in the silence of our souls. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Immaculate Conception, may we pursue with deepest longing a profound purity of heart, mind, and body. By the prayerful help of Venerable Maria of Agreda, may we become holy and radiate the light and life of Christ to all we meet. Today is day number 105. We are reading from chapter 11 of volume 2, paragraphs 123 to 133. Chapter 11. Mary listens to the message of the Holy Angel. The mystery of the Incarnation is enacted by the conception of the eternal word in her womb. 123. I wish to confess before heaven and earth and its inhabitants and in the presence of the creator of the universe and the eternal God that in setting myself to write of the profound mystery of the incarnation, my feeble strength deserts me. My tongue is struck mute. My discourse is silenced. My faculties are benumbed. My understanding is eclipsed and overwhelmed by the divine light, which guides and instructs me. In it, all is perceived without error and without any deviousness. I see my insignificance and I am made aware of the emptiness of words and the insufficiency of human terms for doing justice to my concepts of this sacrament, which comprehends at one and the same time God himself, and the greatest and the most wonderful work of his omnipotence. I see in this mystery the divine and admirable harmony of his infinite providence and wisdom, with which from all eternity he has ordained and prearranged it, and by which he directed all creation towards its fulfillment." All his works and all his creatures were only well-adjusted means of advancing toward this apex of his arms, the condescension of a god in assuming human nature. One twenty-four. I saw the eternal word had awaited and chosen as the most opportune time and hour for his descent from the bosom of the Father, the midnight of moral perversion. Wisdom 18.14 when the whole posterity of Adam was buried and absorbed in the sleep of forgetfulness and ignorance of their true God, and when there was no one to open his mouth in confessing and blessing him except some chosen souls among his people, all the rest of the world was lost in silent darkness, having passed a protracted night of five thousand and about two hundred years. Age had succeeded age, and generations followed upon generations, each one in the time predestined and decreed by the eternal wisdom, each also having an opportunity to know and find him in its creator. For all had him so nigh to them that he gave them life, movement, and existence within their own selves. Acts 17.28 But as the clear day of his inaccessible light had not arrived, though some of the mortals, like the blind, came nigh to him and touched him in his creatures, yet they did not attain to the divinity. Romans one twenty three, And in failing to recognize him, they cast themselves upon the sensible and most vile things of the earth. 
125. The day, then, had arrived in which the Most High, setting aside the long ages of his dark ignorance, resolved to manifest himself to men, and began the redemption of the human race by assuming their nature in the womb of Most Holy Mary, now prepared for this event. In order to be able to describe what was revealed concerning this event to me, it is necessary to make mention of some hidden sacraments, connected with the descent of the only begotten, from the bosom of the Father. I assume as firmly established what the holy faith teaches in regard to the divine persons, that although there is a real personal distinction between the three persons, yet there is no inequality in wisdom, omnipotence, or other attributes, just as little as there is in the divine nature, and just as they are equal in dignity and infinite perfection, so they are also equal in these operations ad extra, which proceed from God himself for the production of some creature or temporal object. These operations are indivisibly wrought by three divine persons, for not one person alone produces them, but all three, insofar as they are one and the same God, possessing one and the same wisdom, one and the same understanding and will. Thus, what the Son knows and wishes, that also the Father knows and wishes, and so also the Holy Ghost knows and wishes, whatever is known and willed by the Father and the Son. 126. In this indivisibility of action, the three persons wrought and executed, by one and the same act, the mystery of the Incarnation, although only the person of the Son accepted for himself the nature of man, uniting to himself hypostatically. Therefore we say that the Son was sent by the Eternal Father, from whose intelligence he proceeds, and that the Father sent him by the intervening operations of the Holy Ghost, as it was the person of the Son, which came to be made man, this same person before descending from the heavens in the bosom of the Father. In the name of that same humanity to be received by him, made a conditional request, that on account of his foreseen merits, his salvation and satisfaction of the divine justice for sins be extended to the whole human race. He desired the fiat, or ratification, of the most blessed will of the Father, who sent him for the acceptance of this redemption by means of his most holy works and his passion, and through the mysteries which he was to enact in the new church and in the law of grace. 127. The Eternal Father accepted this petition and the foreseen merits of the word. He conceded all that was proposed and asked for the mortals, and he himself confirmed the elect and predestined souls as the inheritance and possession of Christ forever. Hence, Christ himself, our Lord through St. John, says that he has not lost, nor has allowed to perish those whom the Father has given him. John 18.9 In another place it is said that no one shall snatch his sheep from hands, nor from those of his Father. John 17.12 the same would hold good of all those that are born, if they would avail themselves of the redemption, which, as it is sufficient, should also be efficacious for all and in all, since his divine mercy desired to exclude no one, if only all them would make themselves capable of receiving its benefits through the Redeemer. 128. All this, according to our way of understanding, happened in heaven at the throne of the Most Blessed Trinity, as a prelude to the fiat of the Most Holy Mary, of which I will presently speak. At the moment in which the only begotten of the Father descended to her virginal womb, all the heavens and the creatures were set in commotion. On account of the inseparable union of the divine persons, the three of them descended with the Word, though the Word alone was to become incarnate. And with the Lord their God, all the hosts of the celestial army issued from heaven, 
full of invincible strength and splendor. Although it was not necessary to prepare the way, since the divinity fills the universe and is present in all places and cannot be impeded by anything, nevertheless, all the eleven material heavens showed deference to their creator, and together with the inferior elements opened up and parted, as it were, for his passage, the stars shone with greater brilliancy. The moon and the sun with the planets hastened their course in the service of their maker, anxious to witness the greatest of his works. 129. Mortals did not perceive this commotion and renewal of all the creatures, both because it happened during the night, as well as because the Lord wished it to be known only to the angels. These, with new wonder, praised him, knowing these profound and venerable mysteries to be hidden from men. For they knew that men were far removed from the understanding. These wonderful benefits, so admirable, even in the eyes of angelic spirits, to these angelic spirits alone, was at the same time assigned the duty of giving glory, praise, and reverence for these benefits to their Maker. However, in the hearts of some of the just, the Most High infused at that hour a new feeling and affection of extraordinary joy, of which they became conscious. They conceived new and grand ideas concerning the Lord. Some of them were inspired and began to confer within themselves whether this new sensation, which they felt, was not the effect of the coming of the Messiah, in order to redeem the world. But all this remained concealed, for each one thought he alone had experienced this renewal of his interior. 130. In the other creatures there was like a renovation and change. The birds moved about with new songs and joyousness. The plants and trees gave forth more fruit and fragrance, and in like proportion all the rest of the creatures received and felt some kind of vivifying change. But among those that received the greatest share were the fathers and saints in limbo, whither the archangel Michael was sent with the glad message, in order to console them and cause in them the fullness of jubilee and praise. Only for hell it was a cause of new consternation and grief, for at the descent of the eternal word from on high, the demons felt an impetuous force of the divine power, which came upon them like the waves of the sea, and buried all of them in the deepest caverns of their darkness, without leaving them any strength or resistance or recovery. When by divine permission they were able to rise, they poured forth upon the world and hastened about to discover what strange happening had thus undone them. However, although they held several conferences among themselves, they were unable to find the cause. The divine power concealed from them the sacrament of the Incarnation and the manner in which the Most Holy Mary conceived the Incarnate Word. Not until the death of Christ on the cross did they arrive at the certainty that he was God and true man, as we shall relate. 131. In order that the mystery of the Most High might be fulfilled, the holy archangel Gabriel, in the shape described in the preceding chapter, and accompanied by innumerable angels in visible human forms and resplendent with incomparable beauty, entered into the chamber where Most Holy Mary was praying. It was on a Thursday, at six o'clock in the evening, and at the approach of night. The great modesty and restraint of the princess of heaven did not permit her to look at him more than the necessary to recognize him as an angel of the Lord. Recognizing him as such, she, in her usual humility, wished to do him reverence. The holy prince would not allow it. On the contrary, he himself bowed profoundly as before his queen and mistress, 
and whom he adored, the heavenly mysteries of his Creator. At the same time, he understood that from that day on, the ancient times and the custom of old, whereby men should worship angels, as Abraham had done. Genesis 28.2 And were changed. For as human nature was raised to the dignity of God himself in the person of the word, men now held the position of adopted children of companions and brethren of the angels, as the angel said to the evangelist St. John when he refused to be worshipped. Apocalypse 19.10.132 The holy archangel saluted our and his queen and said, Ave gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus. Luke one twenty eight, Hearing this new salutation of the angel, this most humble of all creatures was disturbed, but not confused in mind. Luke one twenty nine. This disturbance arose from two causes. First, from her humility, for she thought herself the lowest of the creatures, and thus in her humility was taken unaware of hearing herself saluted and called the blessed among women. Secondly, when she heard this salute, and began to consider within herself how she should receive it, she was interiorly made to understand by the Lord that he chose her for his mother. And this caused a still greater perturbance, having such a humble opinion of herself. On account of this perturbance, the angel proceeded to explain to her the decree of the Lord, saying, Do not fear, Mary, for thou hast found grace before the Lord. Luke one thirty. Behold, thou shalt conceive a son in thy womb, and thou shalt give birth to him, and thou shalt name him Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called Son of the Most High, and the rest as recorded of the holy archangel. 133. Our most prudent and humble queen alone among all the creatures was sufficiently intelligent and magnanimous to estimate at its true value such a new and unheard of sacrament, and in proportion as she realized its greatness, So she was also moved with admiration, but she raised her humble heart to the Lord, who could not refuse her any petition, and in the secret of her spirit she asked new light and assistance by which to govern herself in such an arduous transaction. For as we have said in the preceding chapter, the Most High, in order to permit her to act in this mystery solely in faith, hope, and charity, left her in the common state and suspended all other kinds of favors and interior elevations which she so frequently or continually enjoyed. In this disposition, she replied and said to the Holy Gabriel what is written in St. Luke, How shall this happen, that I conceive and bear, since I know not, nor can no man? At the same time, she interiorly represented to the Lord the vow of chastity which she had made, and the espousal which His Majesty had celebrated with her. This concludes our reading today for day number 105. We have been reading from chapter 11, paragraphs 123 to 133. The past few days I've been talking about two things in each of our readings, and today is no exception. Two things I want to share. We know of the tradition of praying the Angelus. In fact, as I record this in my home office Sometimes you may have heard the church bells because I either was recording at 6 a.m. in the morning or around noon or around 6 p.m. in the evening. And so the bells here at my church ring. And it was interesting because the other day at the noon hour, I was at the grocery store down the road, just about a mile from where I live. 
And as I was walking into the grocery store, it was 12 o'clock. And even a mile down the road, I could hear the faint sound of the church bells reminding us of the Incarnation to pray the Angelus. Maybe you're familiar with that painting of Francois Millet, in which he depicts that farmer in the field, the church in the far distant, and the farmer bowing his head, praying the Angelus. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. We repeat the words of the story of the Annunciation. We pray the Angelus throughout the year, except during Easter when we pray the Regina Chaley, Queen of Heaven Rejoice. And it's always been this tradition to pray the Angelus kind of at the beginning of the day, at the midpoint of the day, at the end of the day, six, noon, and six, maybe corresponding to the monastic practice of the Liturgy of the Hours, morning prayer at six, midday prayer at noon, evening prayer maybe at six, a way for the domestic church at home to pray. Maybe that's why we have the Angelus at six, noon, and six. It's a simple prayer, again, recalling the incarnation. We ask Mary's intercession as we pray the Hail Mary, greeting her again in those same words of the Archangel Gabriel. But today in our reading, we heard that the Archangel Gabriel, in the shape described in the preceding chapter, accompanied by innumerable angels in visible human forms and resplendent with incomparable beauty, entered into the chamber where Most Holy Mary was praying. It was on a Thursday at 6 o'clock in the evening at the approach of night. And maybe Maria Vagrida, familiar with the devotion of the Angelus, is here calling to mind that hour. Maybe that's why Mary is relating this to her, telling her it was at 6 p.m. in the evening. Or maybe it's giving great purpose, even greater foundations for the fact of praying the Angelus. If the Angelus hasn't been a part of your prayer life, maybe choose one of those hours. Pray it. Pray it before you eat lunch. Pray it in the morning or pray it at night. Pray the Angelus and see what difference it might make in your life. The second thing just to mention is to draw out Mary's humility. We know Mary is going to make a very humble statement at the Annunciation But there is this reflection on her humility. She raised her humble heart to the Lord. She was the most humble of all creatures and was disturbed, but not confused in mind. And so she couldn't think of herself in this exalted way that God had chosen her to be the mother. But as she hears it related, as it's continued to be told to her, well then, in her humility, she accepts this great responsibility. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of The Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.